Today we're going to look at one of the best known psalms, and it's best known because of the first phrase, a phrase that all of those who struggle with singing in tune have always loved in the King James, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Uh, many have made comments about it's for the atonal, those who can't carry a pitch in a bucket, those for whom singing is a labor of love, especially for those who hear them. This is a psalm that in the King James translation has always been a source of joking and of joy because it seemed to start with a command to do the best you can as you sing the Lord. I, I will say that as we look at it, we'll find that the King James translation is a little confusing. That's not exactly the point of it, but it still causes us to smile when we hear it. This is a psalm that calls the worshiper to joy, to, to a joy that comes uh, from the depths of who they are, and, but is expressed with actually loud music and proclaiming. Verse 1, shout for joy, the NIV says, a better translation in my opinion, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth and worship or serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Notice the emphasis on joy. Joy is something that is not always expressed in our society. We tend to be a more reserved society. You go into other societies around the world or in other parts of America, and you will see a more exuberant expression of joy. When I think of expressions of joy, I think of circumstances where there is a high sense of anticipation. There is often a, a joy that you can almost feel when it precedes a very happy wedding. You come into the room, and there is smiling, and there is anticipation and joy because the sense of, of happiness that will come for the bride and groom as they join together. But perhaps the best anticipatory joy that I can think of is of all things before a sporting event. When I was at the University of Texas, one of my favorite memories was walking through campus before a UT football game. There would be guys playing their stereos out of their windows with Texas Fight, one of those great fight songs because it only has two words, Texas Fight, Texas Fight, Texas Fight. It's one I could remember. And it was one that there was this sense of great joy before the game, not always after the game, but before the game because of the anticipation of what would happen in the believing that if we won, we'd been on the winning side. But where I really experienced was visiting our, our daughter and son-in-law in Munich, Germany, because we like football, but in Europe, football, or what we call soccer, is on a whole different level. We were in the subway one night, and FC Byron had a game. And all at once, I was absolutely convinced that a riot had broken out. In that enclosed sense, the noise was ear-splitting. It sounded like, it, it sounded, it just sounded horrible. It was so loud and intense. And, and, we, and of course, I couldn't understand any of it. And we turned the corner, and there are 100 FC Byron fans. And the game hadn't started, but they're going nuts. They're screaming. They're singing the FC Byron fight song, I guess, whatever song it was. And, and it was ear-splitting. Now, some of the singing may have been lubricated by good German beer, but the point is they made a joyful sound as they prepared to go see their favorite soccer or football team go play. Why would they do that? The game hadn't even started. What, what is it that makes 
anticipation of something like that so intense? Well, it is anticipation. It is, it is the belief that I'm going to something in which I will share that touches my very identity and, and impacts my life. In other words, when, when I go to a sporting event where I believe my team may win and I love them so much and by wearing their jersey or singing their song or whatever it is, and by going I identify with them and when they are victory I become a winner so that I, I, I go with loud joy. I think that's what Psalm 100 is calling us to do. It says when, when you go toward the Lord, shout for joy, all the earth, anticipating what the psalm will say about him. Uh, uh, I memorized the second verse, serve the Lord with gladness. The New International Version says worship. Most translations say serve. That is the primary meaning of the word. But in this context, the service implies worship. And, and the word's actually can be used interchangeably. We see that in, in Daniel chapter 9 and other places where to, uh, to serve implies worship. Um, because one of the primary means in which we serve God, primary in its significance and its order, is that we worship Him for who He is. And, and our service for Him is enhanced because we know and experience who He is. The implication being that the longer we walk with God, the more we know God, the more we become acquainted with His character, we experience His blessing, the more natural it is for us to shout to joy, to worship with gladness, and come before Him with joyful songs. In other words, it is... It, it is that deep identification with Him and all of His love that, that explodes out of our being with a celebration of who He is. And it's sort of ironic to me that in, in the American and Western world that that kind of joy is most often expressed in an athletic contest, that, that one of the few places that we feel so identified with it and so enthusiastic is in a game. By the way, you can also see it in political rallies because in a political rally, there's an identification with the candidate or party that I have identified with, and I believe that somehow by identifying with them, I am going to experience better things in my life. So what I'm pushing towards is the realization that what you shout in joy for reflects what you have hope in for the future. And what you celebrate is a reflection of what your heart believes will make your life better. That we can know more about what we love by the things we get loud about than what we actually say. And the reality is many of us get loud about things that when asked, are those really important to you? We'd say, well, no. I, 
But you have to wonder if, if we get loud about it, perhaps that's a reflection of something very deep. Can I suggest that verses 1 and 2 that speak of joy or the mood of worship implies that, that if, if we truly have our hope in Christ, if we truly know and love the Lord, that, then there will be an overflow of gladness that sometimes is loud because we identify, we trust, we believe. And sometimes I fear that our worship is, is so contained as be tame and reflects possibly not deep love, but maybe a gentle affection. See, our attitude is shaped more by our hearts than our circumstances. And joy is a reflection of a heart that believes deeply in something, hopes completely in something, that that, that to which they are believing and which they are hoping will, will not only improve their lives, but, but make things better. Uh, joy is more often, in my experience, pointed toward anticipation than looking back at the past. Because it's tied to hope in that expectation of fullness and love. We have become a society that has lost most of its joy. And, and there's plenty to, to steal joy. There's, there's much that's negative in the news and in our history and in reality. There's no question. There are plenty of things to cause us to become, frankly, depressed. And, and word is that depression levels are going out the roof, even among pastors. I was in a pastor call recently, and they brought in an expert to talk to us about being depressed. Um, but, but joy rises above the circumstances because it has hope, not in its circumstances, but in something much greater. In an athletic event, it's just that we're going to go have a great team and our team is going to win. In our wedding, we're going to go and celebrate this new family. And in a political convention, and we're going to go support our candidate who's going to make our life better. But how much more when we go into the presence of God, there should be an anticipation because of who he is, because of what he's done and what he yet promises to do, that, that we can have joy. John Lewis, the congressman that just died, the leader in the civil rights movement and a hero to many, said, if you're not hopeful and optimistic, then you just give up. You have to take the long, hard look and just believe that if you're consistent, you will succeed. Of course, he was speaking of his service and the civil rights movement, but how much more is that true and our hope in Christ in God's consistency and that as we are faithful and trusting in Him, our hope is well-placed. Shout for joy to the Lord, Lord, all the earth. Worship and serve because the two are always joined together the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. By the way, when we worship absent of service, it grows stale. When we serve absent 
of worship, it becomes meaningless. Those, those two are united in one word in the Old Testament because they are united in reality. Verses 3 through 5, excuse me, verse 3 speaks of submission to God, which is the foundation of worship. Know or confess that the Lord, Yahweh, the personal name of God, know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Confess that the Lord is God. Confess, agree, announce, proclaim, the word implies, that our God is the God who created heaven and earth. And by virtue of His being the Creator God, we are His and the sheep of His pasture. Reminds me in the book of Jonah when Jonah is trying to escape uh, being obedient to God's command to go to Nineveh and, and the Lord sends the storm and Jonah is asleep down under the boat and, and uh, under the deck, I should say. Uh, and, and the crew goes to him and says, uh, pray with us, pray to your God, why is this happening? And he said, well, I worship the God who created heaven and earth. And suddenly the crew stepped back realizing that he was indeed the problem. And Jonah, being depressed, said, just throw me over. It'll be better if you do. But, but they showed more compassion for him than he showed for Nineveh. They, they kept throwing things off the boat, trying to save it, and ultimately had to throw him overboard. But, but the God of the Old Testament was always identified as the creator God. See, we can create our gods. We can create those things in which we have hope, but, but because Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, is the creator God. He has natural right of sovereignty over all things. He alone is the one true God who is worthy of our worship and therefore over under whom we are to serve. Uh, of course, we don't, we don't have gods like they did in the Old Testament. We don't have idols necessarily on our bedroom counter. We don't, we don't worship little trinkets quite the way he did. But modern uh, scholars have, have figured that one out, and, and we now understand that a, a God is anything that replaces the God in our hope and trust in our lives. So anything we place our hope in that's more significant than our hope in God has become a God to us. A anything that that gives us an identity more seriously than being loved by God is another God. Anything that, that drives our lives rather than obedience to the God who created all things is another God. So the reality is, uh, in many ways, we worship more gods than we can even count because each of us so easily falls into making our decisions about our life, finding our hope in our life, uh, gaining our joy in our life from things that are not God, that are passing, that are frail, and that are weak. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, one means of determining who our God is is what we obey. And he said, if you truly love me, you'll obey me. That that, that is a natural outgrowth 
of recognizing him as God. And sadly, our hearts can so easily be drawn away from finding our hope in God. And, and sadly, that's why sometimes our worship is so vapid. If, if we truly came to place our hope in God, moment by moment, day by day, if, if, if throughout our experience our hope wasn't on our circumstances, wasn't on our athletic team or our political party or anything else, if the, the thing that determined whether we had hope for today and tomorrow was solely the all-powerful loving God of the universe who gave His Son on the cross for the sins of the world. If, if the more we come to, to put all, if, you, if I may say it this way, all of our poker chips on Him and not on everything else, the more He becomes the focal point that determines our joy, the more we experience the joy that comes from Him and the more natural it is to have worship that is a spontaneous eruption of that joy. That because it is, it is something we can't help but do. C.S. Lewis famously, in one of his, his sermons that he preached, uh, spoke of God's calling on us to celebrate and praise Him. And, and as Lewis uh, speaks of the allegation that's made that God must be pretty insecure, that He needs to us to celebrate Him. He, he needs us to brag on Him. And his point was, no, that when we see something we really admire, if it really touches us deeply, we haven't completed our joy in it until we've told someone else, hey, come look at this piece of art. Hey, come listen to this song. The more we experience the blessings and knowledge of God and the joy that comes from that, the, the more submission to Him as the true God becomes the foundation of our lives, the more natural it is for us to sing and erupt with a sound of joy. The more natural it is to tell others, the more natural it is to celebrate spontaneously our love for Him. See, God would not be much of a God if He were not sovereign. If He were not the creator of all things and, and not the God of all people and especially those who trust in Him. If, if we were not merely His sheep but we were His equals, he wouldn't be much of a God. But the fact of His sovereignty, His power, His grandeur, His infinite greatness, that causes who He is to, to be so significant for us as we think about Him. J.I. Packer died this week. I met J.I. Packer years ago. I was teaching a Sunday school class at a Presbyterian church in Dallas, and two of the members of their class were, uh, were honored in his first uh, edition of his book, Knowing God. And so when he was in town, they came to me and said, would you mind letting J.I. Packer teach your Sunday school class? And I thought, well, it'll be a step down for me, but sure, we'll let J.I. Packer teach. It was a great experience. He was a humble scholar, a kind man. He was so respectful. I had so much fun with him. And he went to be with the Lord this week at 93. And he said, 
All Christians believe in divine sovereignty. On our feet, we may have arguments about it, but on our knees, we are all agreed. In other words, that, that recognition of His sovereign power, of His greatness, and His overarching control to accomplish His perfect will ultimately in life is what we count on when we pray. And it is what causes the eruption of true worship when we sing in joy. We, we sing for joy because we trust His great power. And, and coupled with His perfect care, we know that trusting Him is worthwhile, and we know that we can love Him. So shout for joy to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence in joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Jesus makes a strong point that even though there are many sheep, the good shepherd loves everyone individually. That, that sovereign God who made all of the universe, as vast as it is, knows each sheep, and the sheep hear His voice, and we know we are loved. Again, that's why we come into His presence with great joy. By the way, uh, some have said this psalm is primarily directed at the Israelites coming specifically to the temple for worship if it was pre-exilic in its writing. And certainly that is part of it because he, in verses 4 and 5, will refer to entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Uh, clearly an allusion to coming to Jerusalem on those three great festivals when the nation of Israel would come for particular worship. But may I suggest to you that when you read the Psalms, while there is always an, often allusion to the temple worship that never negates private worship, or the worship of a family, or of a community, that, that worshiping and shouting for joy and enjoying God's character and His sovereignty, His love, is not something that we cardon off to one little portion, part of one day of our week. But when you read the Psalms, you realize that it is intended by God to be a lifestyle, a part of our private life, our private worship, and our worship as we go through life. So he begins with a call to spontaneous eruption of joy. He then builds the foundation of our worship, and that is the sovereign power of God to which we are called to submit. And then in verses 4 and 5, he points to gratitude. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. The response of worship is joy. The foundation of worship is submission to a sovereign God. But in many ways, the discipline of worship is gratitude, thankfulness. How, how, how do we keep 
the character and blessings of God ever before us so that when we anticipate being in his presence, we anticipate serving him in our lives, there is that natural eruption of joy. How, how do we maintain that awareness of his character and his actions so that our worship is not just an add-on, an asterisk to our life, but in fact is an outgrowth of, of how we live our lives all the time? I'll submit to you that verses 4 and 5 tell you by thanksgiving. When we live our lives being thankful at all times, when we live our lives being ever aware of how much His character and His actions have provided us with so much, when, when being thankful is a regular discipline of our lives, then joy and submission are a natural outgrowth. And you and I often stray from true worship and submission to God because we choose to forget all that God has done and all that He is and instead focus on our disappointments with Him. Our prayer life becomes too much us expressing our disappointments rather than celebrating all of His blessing. We, we become a people in all honesty who act too much like spoiled children who complain that the food isn't quite hot enough or the toys aren't quite new enough. But, but when our minds are shaped by gratitude, when thanksgiving is the ever-present expression of our hearts and thoughts and words, when, when being grateful becomes the driving force in, in our day-to-day -day life, then joy is a natural eruption and submission to Him is much easier because we have been reminded of how much He shows His love. So the psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? Well, he reminds us, for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. His character is thoroughly good. There is never any evil intent in it. And his love endures forever. He doesn't grow weary of loving us. He, he, he doesn't lose his focus on us. He, his love is constant and abiding so that his faithfulness, his dependability continues through all generations. It's always there. We... We live a life of gratitude, learning the discipline of gratitude, having the eyes to see His blessing, having the eyes to be grateful for the food in front of us, for the health that we have, for the people who love us, for the bed we sleep in, for the friends that we enjoy, for the big things and the little things, because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. According to Scripture, that, that when we begin to get grateful eyes that, that celebrate God's continuing blessing, then, then we come to see all the more His character. And the more we see His love, His character, His power, the more naturally we respond with joy and worship, and the more easily we submit to who He is, because we know He's benevolent and caring and that His love never fails. And that's why this kind of worship, both 
publicly, corporately, and individually, this, this constant reminding ourselves of who God is and what He's done is so important because you and I live in a world that is a 24-7 infomercial for trusting in everything but God. You ever thought of it that way? Uh, I, I, I'm one of those men that love to get hold of the channel changer and to Julie's chagrin starts finding really weird things to focus on. And I, I have a couple of times gotten her on an infomercial and and I won't say her response is violent, but, but she's not happy with me. But, but you know how infomercials are. They just, they just beat you down so that before long you're willing to buy 20 paring knives because they've just got to be that good. I mean, you, you, you watch and they come at you from all there and they're beautiful people telling you that the paring knives changed their lives and, and they wear you down with beating you up with all the reasons this is so significant and... and and before long, you're willing to buy. We live in a 24-7 infomercial by the world that tells us all kinds of other gods will bring us joy and meaning in our lives. Whether it's, it's uh, sexual pleasure or having more stuff or buying more things or celebrating more something, the, the reality is we are constantly being bombarded by an advertisement for other gods. And sadly, because we take our eyes off of God way too much, we begin to seek our joy in that soccer team or that football team or buying that stuff or having that experience. We begin to take our hearts and minds off of the one alone who is always faithful to us. And by diverting to those other gods, we take our eyes off of him and then we come and we worship Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we can complain about the worship team because it just didn't do it for us that Sunday. But in the Psalms, in Scripture, in reality, public worship is just the culmination of a, of a life that is drenched in gratitude for all that God has done and all that He is. So that the eruption of joy is the spontaneous and necessary response to that gratitude. And obedience and service is the only logical thing that we would do. So where's our joy? What have we placed our eyes and hope in for joy? What do we scream about? And whom do we serve? I urge all of us to make grateful response to who God is, something that so informs our thoughts that we cannot but speak with joy for who God is and all that He's done. Please pray with me. Father, we worship You today, not out of duty, but out of joy. We celebrate You today because of who You are and what You've done. We confess You today because if we didn't, the stones would. You are 
the great God creator of all things. And because of that, and because of your faithfulness and love, we cannot help but shout with joy to you. Lord, forgive us that we so quickly turn our hearts and minds to other frail gods, looking to other things for our joy, to other things for our fulfillment, our identity, our meaning, when the eternal God of the universe made it possible for us to know you through the death of your Son on the cross. Lord, help us to be so grateful for who you are and what you've done that real, joyful worship and submission is the natural response. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.